Chapter 7 The Mission Now was not the time for rational thought over how Callie had acquired the keys. It was enough that she had managed it somehow. Her broad smile worked its way over to Rass like an infection. He hugged her and spun her around, eliciting a small squeal. But how? Rass asked, setting her back down. I talked Tibbs into selling the fox to me yesterday, but he gutted it. We got Harley to tell us what we needed, she said. We? Rass's head swam. Come on, I'll show you. We're running out of time. She began bounding toward the docks. These docks weren't far, and as Rass and Callie approached, he saw Emma and Harley, who rolled out in a wheelchair and greeted them. Tied to the dock stood a ship that looked more like the Copper Fox than Tips's party house. The more severely damaged pieces of paneling had been replaced from other ships, giving the familiar vessel a new sheen. It was a perfectly beautiful mess. How did you afford this? he asked. Well, three years of university tuition was just about enough. Callie, no, Rass said, boiling with anger at Tibbs. He didn't have the heart to tell her that a ship like this should have only cost one year of tuition. He assumed she told him how much she had, and he had taken every last bit. Rass, I went to the university so I could someday get out and see the world. Think of it as graduating early, she said with a smile kinder than Rass could handle. Your mom bought Harley's engines. Harley wheeled forward. They don't make them like they used to. Mom, what did you sell? Rass asked. The house was the only thing they owned valuable enough to buy a set of engines. Don't worry about it, she replied. Mom, you weren't getting anywhere without engines. I'll be fine, she said. Old Harley pointed a withered hand at Rass. Don't worry, her first month's rent is free. You can bring me those engines back and we'll call it even, he said with a wink. But what about your ship? Rass asked. This city is my ship, old Harley said, challenging Rass to argue. Emma turned to Callie. You bring me my boy back. Yes, ma'am, Callie said, nodding. Emma picked up a heavy duffel bag sitting behind old Harley's wheelchair and handed it to Rass. I found this while packing up the attic today. Rass unzipped the bag, revealing Elias's grapple gun with his father's name stamped on the side. The model was a much nicer version of the cheap one that Rass had last used, as Elias's grappler could retract the cable back to itself. As a boy, Rass had used it for target practice and would occasionally misplace it, forcing Elias to collect energy without the device. Before Elias had left on his mission for Hal, Rass had lost it, and he often imagined his father dying because of his missing safety measure. Underneath Eli's grapple gun was their last family portrait, taken when Rass was ten. Little Rass had an awkward bowl haircut, and he hadn't lost his baby fat, but thankfully he resembled Elias more now. Emma gave Rass a long, tight hug. You can do this, she said, sounding like she needed to hear the words more than her son did. He nodded as they ended their embrace. He took an eyeful of verdant, unsure if he'd ever stand on it again. With the day having waxed far into evening, Rass said, We better go before Hal finds someone else. Rass and Callie waved to Emma and Harley as they walked up the gangplank. Rass took his place at the helm, running his hand over the familiar spoked wheel. Pressing the buttons, he retracted the gangplank and roused the engines. Callie called up from the main deck. I renamed her! Rass furrowed his brow. She's not the Copper Fox anymore? The name was already taken when I tried to register her. I'm afraid to ask, Rass said. She's the Brass Fox. Copper mixed with tin, she answered. I like it. The Brass Fox she is. Good name. I thought so. Callie said, beaming. The ship glided out of the dock, and the tiny crew of the Brass Fox waved to the two on the dock. Wait, Rass said. How did you get your father to agree to this? Callie climbed the steps to the bridge. I left him a letter. A horn blared as Mr. Torbion's skiff pulled up to the dock, and Callie's parents exited, shouting out to her. Bye, Mom. Bye, Dad. I've got to go save Verdon. Love you. Callie turned to Rass. Punch it, she said casually. Rass obliged, and the Brass Fox dropped beneath the clouds well on its way for its maiden voyage.
Rass had nearly written off experiencing the wind pushing on his face and tussling his hair the way it did out in the open air. Callie, on the other hand, struggled with the reality that if the wind wasn't in her face, her hair was. None of my books mention this happening to girls' hair, she said, brushing an errant lock out of her face. It's not terribly romantic. She pulled her locks back with her left hand to end the struggle and stared over the railing to the grate below. This is amazing, she beamed. You should come see. Your face is going to stick like that, Rass said. I hope so, she said. It's bad luck for the pilot to leave the wheel, Rass said, making up a poor excuse on the spot. It was one thing to have clouds just below him, but another thing entirely to see the ground and be reminded of just how far up he flew. As far as he knew, Callie was ignorant of his fear of heights, and he figured that if he wanted her to continue to trust him as a captain, she should remain in that ignorance. How dangerous is it for me to be under the clouds? She asked, not taking her eyes away from the ground. With what little energy is left in the bowl, not very, Rass said. We should probably stay on the safe side after we pass Bravo Company. Callie pushed off the railing, then looked up to Rass. Do I have time to get changed? Uh, sure. I'll let you know if we're getting close to framers. He watched Callie disappear into the captain's quarters beneath him. He hadn't considered that there would be only one bed on the ship unless Tibbs had made some changes. He'd address that when the time came, but for now he had to make it to Hal's ship before sundown. He opened the throttle as the sky began filling with the orange hue of the setting sun. He looked above at the clouds to notice a series of shadows he assumed belonged to Bravo Company, then surveyed the skies to see if they left lookouts for any Verdantian willing to risk overloading. As soon as he felt they were a safe enough distance beyond Bravo Company, he brought the ship back up to the clouds until he peeked over to see their ships as tiny specks behind him on the horizon, then pulled the brass fox just above the clouds for safety. In a few minutes, Rass heard the door open to the captain's quarters, and looked over in time to see Callie reach the railing and toss something overboard. He glimpsed something red and gossamer flitting about on the wind behind the ship and did a double-take. Callie shook her head, running her fingers through her newly cropped hair. How's it look? She asked, cringing slightly. Rass was speechless. She wore tall leather boots over a pair of tan corduroy pants held up by brown suspenders strapped over a white long-sleeve ruffled shirt. Her brilliant red hair fell just below the nape of her neck when the wind wasn't picking it up. She looked stunning. I look stupid, don't I? She asked. No, no, it's great. You, you look like the Navi of the Brass Fox. Navi? Rass nodded. Navigator. They were almost to the other side of the canyon, having taken the long route. Is your head all right? I'll be fine. When we go through the tunnel into Framers, I'll need you to keep an eye out for the Kingfisher. Aye, aye, Captain, she said. You really don't have to call me that, Rass said. Yes, sir. She stood at attention, then broke into laughter as Rass made a face at her. The Kingfisher is the one on the propaganda poster in your room, right? She asked. Stop the clockwork, she quoted the poster in a mock deep voice. That's the one. Should be easy to spot. Why's that? It'll be the only one above us. Eventually, the brass fox glided toward the cliffs that made up Framers Valley. Rass brought the ship through the tunnel and into the circular opening covered in the wavy green. Rass looked mournfully at the cave. The convergence was in that cave over there. Is that real grass? Callie exclaimed, leaning once more over the railing. I just want to roll around in it. Uh, yeah, it's pretty great, Rass said, distracted. He brought the ship up above the clouds and began searching for the kingfisher. Callie rotated to leaning her back on the railing to stare beyond the brass fox's balloon. Rass, he's still here. All right, let's see how high she can go. Rass engaged the controls, pulling up on the wheel to pick up altitude until it capped out well underneath what the Kingfisher could manage. He retrieved his flare gun from underneath the ship's console and loaded up a charge before firing off a red flare into the sky. It erupted in a star pattern. Ooh, pretty, Callie said. They waited for a moment for the ship to descend down to their level, then waited another minute. What other colors do you have? I think just red. I've never used one before, Rass said. 
don't different colors mean different things? I thought they all meant hay over here, Rast said as he looked at the box containing two other flares. He didn't want to waste them and wondered if Hal was testing him. He grabbed the duffel bag and extracted Elias's grapple gun. The leather straps were worn but form-fitted to his father's arm. Fastening the straps from wrist to elbow, he then loaded a spiked magnet shot. He fired the first part onto the hull of the ship, then took aim and shot at the kingfisher, spooling out a healthy length of cable. What are you doing? Callie asked. A satisfying metal clank rang out. Rass smiled. If he won't come to us... Well, what if he moves? Callie asked, sounding like she didn't want to question Rass's intelligence, but needed to make sure the obvious was stated. It won't. Shouldn't. Rass reassured. But just in case, we should move quickly. We? You want me to go up there too? Callie asked. I promise to protect you, right? Can't do that if you stay behind. Besides, it's just a couple of old men up there. They'll probably give you candy. From the bag, Rass pulled a harness attached to a locking mechanism with a crank. He tossed the harness to her. Here, put that on. Legs in those holes. She did so dutifully, and Rass began equipping a harness himself. He heard a delicate clink and looked up to see Callie connected to the crank already. Like this? You've been taking climbing lessons? No, but once I read a book about rock climbers where the author went into painful detail about how the characters prepared for a climb and the gruesome details of what happened to them when they fell. I felt it worth remembering. A gust of wind gently rocked the brass fox, causing the part of the deck attached to the spike to creak loudly. Let's lock you in, Rass said, attaching Callie's crank to the cable. There we are. You're going nowhere, he said. Now, we'll turn this crank to ascend and descend. Rass fiddled with his harness when he heard a deafening crack and a piercing scream as Callie shot up and away from the brass fox, trailed by a loose piece of deck. Rass! She cried as she slipped away, rising with a kingfisher. He stood dumbfounded for a moment. Idiot, he muttered to himself. Hold on, I'm coming! Rass loaded a repelling hook into the gun and fired it high into the nearby cliff well above his ship. He ran over to the railing and climbed atop it, almost losing his balance, then pushing the button to start retracting the cable and swung off the side of his airship. He landed hard against the cliff face, still needing to ascend. Kelly's screams continued. Taking the cable in his right hand, he disengaged it from the gun, then loaded another repelling hook. He fired, listened to the cable flip away, and let the line go taut. Testing his weight with a quick tug, he then let go with his right hand and began retracting the cable. The next ascension led him to the rock face at an altitude even with the kingfishers. In the distance, Callie dangled below the ship. Hold on, I'm coming! Rass repeated the ascending process once more on the cliff face, pulling him high above the ascending ship. He only had one more charge, but it had a magnetic top on it, which was perfect. He looked down at the ship and did a little calculation before noticing Callie being hauled on board the ship by a few men on the deck. He took a breath, swallowed hard, and squeezed the firing mechanism in his palm, watching the magnet connect with the siding of the ship. I'm going to regret this, he said, throwing caution and himself to the wind. He fell like a stone past the kingfisher before jerking underneath the ship as the cable wrapped around the underbelly, rounding out his descent and shooting him up to the opposite side. At the inception of the plan, he had imagined himself landing squarely on the deck with a heroic tuck and roll that would have impressed Callie. He didn't anticipate bouncing off the dirigible. Rebounding from the balloon, Rass lost momentum and fell past the side of the kingfisher's deck. In a brief moment of clarity, before the cable jerked taut, he tried to recall why he had forgotten to fasten the strap around his torso. Snap. The artwork on board the kingfisher made it difficult for Callie to keep up with her elderly escorts. She didn't dare stop, but made a mental note to request a tour if time would allow. The door to the circular study slid open, spilling light from the hallway onto the room's sole inhabitant. The man reclined in a dark leather chair, well-worn to its master's form. Without conceding defeat to the ceiling in their private staring contest, the man acknowledged the entrance. Deus? Sir? Deus asked, standing at attention. Am I to gather by the absence of a certain young man behind you that you found a replacement? 
the recliner asked, breaking his gaze from the ceiling, turning his attention to Callie. Oh, who do we have here? Callie's mouth went dry as the legend from her illustrated book stood before her. She began to speak, but opted to curtsy beforehand. Callista Turbion, sir. Thank you for having us, Mr. Napier, she said shakily. Us? Hal asked, directing the question to Deus. Erasmus is being fetched from underneath the ship, Deus said with a mixture of amusement and apology. Is he now? Hal asked, then swept an arm toward his desk. Miss Torbion, if you would join me, I believe we have business to discuss. Callie found herself half paying attention, lost in the stacks of ancient books lining the walls. Yes, business, she said, fully distracted and not stepping forward to join Hal. Hal traced her eyeline and chuckled softly. I don't think those would be of much use to you, I'm afraid. Are they blank? Callie asked, aghast. Oh, no, my dear, Hal said, just in a language unfamiliar to most. Callie's shoulders sank slightly and she stepped away from Deus to take one of the seats facing Hal's desk. Her eyes were drawn to a small model of a white train sitting next to some papers. Scale replica? She asked hopefully. The object seemed plucked straight from her dreams. Hal sat across from her, then picked up the train, inspecting it. I should hope so, he said, grin widening. I wouldn't envy the difficulties of travel for such small people. I mean, it's based off something real, right? A relic of a bygone era, yes, Hal said, gently returning the model to his desk. Some soft voices murmured in the hallway, drawing Hal's attention. He looked across the room to Deus, raising an eyebrow. It appears in his theatrics, Mr. Veer has managed to dislocate his shoulder, rendering himself unconscious, Deus said. What? Where is he? Callie asked. Just uh, hanging around at the moment, Deus said. So I'm told. Deus, Hal chided, attempting to hide a smirk. Not everyone appreciates your sense of humor. Let us treat our guests with respect. It's not like he's going to hear me, Deus said. I'll see what I can do to ease his pain. With that, Deus left the room, leaving Callie alone with Hal. Looks like business may have to wait, Hal said. Callie thought for a moment. Not necessarily, she said. The opening twinge of a headache made her steady herself. Do you have a proposition? Hal asked. She shook her head. A request, if you're willing. Hal leaned back in his chair, giving approval with a silence. How did the great overload happen? Callie asked. Hal ran a hand through his bristly hair. That is quite a large request. Weren't you there? Callie asked. If I were there when it happened, suffice it to say I wouldn't be here, he said. But you do know how it happened. Why are you so keenly interested in such a morbid blot on our world's timeline? Hal asked. Callie shrugged. I guess I've always thought that if we knew how it happened, then someone could figure out how to reverse it. Hal took a deep breath. I'm afraid that those that have gone on have gone on for good. No, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that's not what I mean, Callie said. I mean, make the land livable again. It's only a matter of time before the last Atmos city falls, right? The headache nodded her once more, but she closed her eyes to focus on battling it back. Ah, there we have a noble endeavor indeed, Hal said, offering a sad smile. As best I understand, the Great Overload was a construction of the Elders, whose antidote, if ever there was one, has been lost to time. Oh. Callie's shoulders fell in disappointment. But, just because we don't know doesn't mean we can't find out, Hal said, nodding until she mirrored the motion. Deus entered the room with two other elderly men, carrying Rass's limp form at waist height. Sir, where would you like this deposited? On the fainting couch, Hal said. That feels appropriate. 
With Rass draped over the furniture, the men nearly exited the room before Hal called out to them. I do believe it to be well past time for supper, Deus. If you would be so kind as to prepare something for Miss Torbion and myself to enjoy it in the study, I would be most obliged. Deus nodded, then promptly exited the room. Callie stared at Rass's limp form before turning back to Hal. What about him? If he rouses, we'll have a third plate made up, Hal said. But for the meanwhile, you look like you could use a good story. The snapper turning Rass's left arm into its socket brought him back to consciousness with a scream. He shot up from the fainting couch in Hal's parlor. Would you care for some painkillers? Deus asked as he knelt next to the couch. Yes! Rass said, still half screaming. For the love of corn, that is a... Yes to painkillers, please. The words didn't come out of his mouth exactly how his brain had formed them. The door from the hallway corridor opened and in walked Halcyon Napier. Rass's blurred vision cleared enough to see Hal towering over him. Deus rose to leave, and Rass attempted to stand, but immediately fell back down on the couch. No, please, said Hal said with a touch of sarcasm. Rass looked about and realized it was fully daylight outside. Where's Callie? Rass demanded. A voice spoke directly behind him. I'm right here, Rass. I've been here all night, she said. Rass whipped his head around to see her and had to steady himself for a moment as the room spun. She sat in a nearby armchair with one of Hal's books sitting open on her lap. Yes, we had a riveting discourse over your disjointed body, Hal said. She's quite the curious one. Deus mentioned painkillers, Rass said, feeling nauseated. I believe he has already supplied those. He was likely asking retroactively for permission. They're quite strong. I'm sure you'll find your footing soon enough, Hal said. I was telling Hal how you procured a ship so quickly, Callie said. Oh, were you? Rass said, concern creeping into his voice. For all her merits, Callie could be a bit of a storyteller, and the truth didn't always interfere with the details. Who knew he would save an entire orphanage and receive a vessel in return, Hal said, amused. Funny how you didn't mention you lacked a ship when we spoke last. Rass turned and shot an incredulous look back at Callie, who proudly smiled, then returned his attention back to Hal. My dad taught me that someone else should toot your horn. Wait, that's wrong. Rass said, feeling the effects from the medicine. Sage advice either way, said Hal. I'm impressed with your tenacity. That will serve you well in the wild. Is your collection tank amply sized? It is so ample, Rass said. Am I getting worse? I feel like I'm getting worse. My fingers feel backwards, Callie interrupted. Maybe you should lie back down. Hal turned to address Callie. Miss Torbian, have you had time to practice with the device? I think I'm getting the hang of it, she said. What do you call it? It does not have a name. Very rare. An old friend made it for me. What was that? Ress asked. Callie produced a brass sphere about the size of a snow globe from beneath the book. There were three holes from where she inserted her thumb and first two fingers, activating the device. From within came a high-pitched whine of gears, and from the top, an arrow attached to a metal rod lifted. The arrow clicked into place and turned slightly to the left and downward, pointing east. It's a compass that follows a trail to the mountain pass into the wild, Callie said. It reads trace amounts of the element on the wind that comes from there, Hal asked. Rass stared wide-eyed at it the way a drunken toddler would. Wow, he said over enunciating. Can I try? That would be unwise, Rass. The device attunes itself to a user and another's touch might cause it to stop working properly for Callie, Hal said. Rass nodded solemnly. Don't touch the shiny. Got it. Precisely. Don't touch the shiny. Hal agreed as though Rass had just divulged a great secret. How long will he be like this? Callie asked. Days, months, thirty more minutes. These things are hard to say. Hal winked at her. 
Deus is preparing breakfast as we speak. Can't send you off on an empty stomach, now can we? No, we cannot, Raz said in agreement, looking up at the ceiling as though Hal were standing on it. If you excuse me, I'll have Deus fetch you both when breakfast is ready. With that, Hal exited the room. Raz, are you all right? Callie asked. Aside from my arm attempting to exit my body, never better. He slumped on the fainting couch, looking at Callie upside down. How you doing? He frowned. That came out wrong. She looked a bit flustered. It's just a lot to take in. Hal told me so many stories last night. Rass ratted himself. What kind of stories? About the wild. I think we might have gotten ourselves in a bit over our heads. We'll be fine, he said before slumping. When I have two working arms, I can sink entire cities, Rass said. I'm dangerous. But I promise to save Verdant, protect you, and bring you with me. We're in this thick as... thick as butter. Thieves, Rass. Thick as thieves, Callie corrected. Or butter. Look it up. It's a thing. He inspected his fingernails, biting one. Not sure of it. Not caring for its taste, he made a face. So what's in the wild? Pockets of frozen time, for one. That's what he wants us to collect, Rass. That would make a great birthday present, he said matter-of-factly. Why's that? Surprise, little Timmy, now you get an extra long birthday. Kids will go nuts over it. More like, surprise, little Timmy, now you're stuck in time as the rest of the world ages around you until the sun explodes, Callie countered. That sounds considerably less marketable. I don't want to get frozen in time, she said, looking legitimately worried. The sobered up Rass. I won't let that happen, okay? We stick together, and I have absolutely zero plans for getting frozen in time forever. That breaks promises number one and three, plus it keeps me from number two, okay? She nodded. Is that a page-turner? Rass pointed to her lap. I've just been admiring the illustrations. Hal wrote it, she said. He definitely has enough time on his hands. What did he say was in the wild? Elders that aren't frozen in time pockets? Deus opened the door and announced that breakfast was served. Callie helped Rass to his feet, careful not to aggravate the mending arm as the pair shuffled toward the door. So, when did you become a cliff diver? Callie asked, teasing. That was my first time, if you'll believe it, Rass said, missing the jab. He turned to Deus as they passed him. What's the medis, medic, medic drug called? Deus responded with a word Rass didn't understand and most likely couldn't pronounce when not under its effects. Fun. Hal sat at the end of a long wooden table with 20 play settings. Including Rass and Callie, only eight seats were occupied as the other four crew members that Rass had not yet met were all older than Hal, looking to be either in their 70s or 80s. Rass giggled slightly when he saw prunes in a bowl. He caught himself and stopped, tucking his lips between his teeth to avert a smile. The effects of the medicine slowly began ebbing away as he took in the smells of the food on the table. Toast, eggs, bacon, more eggs, toast with butter, and something that Rass figured to be even yet more eggs in an unfamiliar format were laid out before them. It was apparent that Deus's cooking repertoire was limited, and thus Rass assumed one of the empty seats formerly belonged to their late cook. Rass was grateful to have some protein in his diet for a change as he filled his place with scrambled eggs, two pieces of bacon, and a piece of butter toast. He assumed Deus knew where to find the rare mountaintop farms. So, how? Rass said around a bite of toast. How did you stop Bravo Company from attacking? Hal smiled. I sent word to the collective I was on Verdant. Why would that stop Sky Pirates? Callie asked. Not every member of the collective wears a uniform, Hal said. And they have a keen interest in knowing what I know. Then why are Sky Pirates fighting a war against the collective? Rass asked. Have you heard any news of Bravo Company fighting in that war? 
before letting it sink in, he changed the subject. So, Ras, tell me about Verdant. Ras choked on the mouthful of eggs he had overzealously stuffed into his mouth. But Bravo Company, Verdant, Hal said, his stare challenging Ras to continue inquiring about the Sky Pirates. Uh, well, it was built in the bowl about 80 years ago because the bowl trapped energy naturally. I'm not looking for a history, my boy. Hal said with a chuckle. I am history. I'm more than familiar with how things came to be in the last century. Oh, sorry. Quite all right. What are the people like? Hal asked, inspecting the toast and selecting a piece. Well, people like to talk a lot, catch up on things they missed while out on collection runs. People move there and stay, I guess, because they like it there. I don't really know how it's different from the rest of the world, Rass admitted. Are the people happy? Rass had to think. When not bombarded by sky pirates? I remember when I was little, people laughed more, but when you're little, people tend to hide the sad things from you. But since the winnower put a lot of wind merchants out of work, we make do. I looked over to Callie. What about you? What do you think of the people? She sheepishly smiled. I... I don't know. Come now, you must have an opinion, he said. Aside from my last year at university, I've spent most of my life in my family's basement or in doctor's offices. Hal looked over at Deus before nodding somberly as though he fully understood. Rass picked up on why he was asking about the people. He lived vicariously. The old man probably hasn't been outside this airship in over a hundred years. No wonder he's the youngest on the ship full of people who occasionally leave, Rass thought. What are you waiting for? Rass asked bluntly. Pardon? Hal asked, affronted by the abrupt tone. One hundred and sixty-four. That's a lot of time. Yes. The world thought you disappeared after you shut the elders into the wild, Rass said. I did, in a way. I, I mean, no disrespect, but feasibly you could live for, say, at least a thousand years, right? Rass asked. But you stay on the ship, writing and painting. It seems like a self-imposed prison sentence. Hal firmly placed his water glass on the table. Let me ask you this. When would you step off the immortality train, hmm? When would you decide you've lived long enough and it was time to stop taking your medicine? Hal's eyes narrowed. You speak of things you don't understand. I hired you to bring me my medicine and you question why I choose to take it? You just concern yourself with repenting of your sins and I'll do the same. Breakfast was concluded. The Kingfisher descended all the way down to the Brass Fox's altitude and sidled up to the other ship. Brass and Callie stood inside the control room next to Hal. I don't know why I expected more out of a ship found in three days, Hal said, surveying the brass fox. He pressed down on the intercom button. Deus, bring something from the treasury for Flint, he turned to Rass. If you're going to be outrunning elder ships, you'll need better engines than that. Hey, my mother sold our home for those engines, Rass said, his eyes narrowing. Hal sighed and inspected the engines as though to see if she'd gotten her money's worth. I'll send Deus to fetch her a verdantist to sink. Deus arrived at the control room with a stack of bound currency that Rass didn't recognize. Hal flipped through it and approved. Fly to Derailleur first and find a mechanic named Flint. His shop is on the first level in the main channel. Slipped into the band of money was a piece of fine paper with a set of coordinates written on it. Hal pointed to it. Once inside the wild, that's where you will go to collect the air. Don't let these numbers or Callie's device fall into the wrong hands. There will be other interested parties, Hal said. Do you understand? Rass nodded. Got it. I've had Deus take the liberty of adding to your food supplies. You have quite the trip ahead of you. As Rass and Callie were ushered back into the Brass Fox, there were so many things Rass felt he should be asking Hal, but he didn't even know where to begin. 
He watched the kingfisher ascend into the clouds and kicked himself for forgetting to ask Hal what allowed his ship to fly so high. He wished he hadn't spent most of his time aboard the fabled vessel with his faculties dulled by the medicine. It dawned on him just how little he knew about the world outside the bowl, and he was about to cross the entirety of it. <laughs>